Looking for an extraordinary coffee? Look no further than Heartwork Coffee. With eight years of excellence and proudly roasting in the vibrant city of San Diego, California, visit heartworkcoffeebar.com to explore a wide range of single origin and blended coffees to suit your taste preference. On a personal note, co-founder Rob Moran has played in so many bands that have inspired me personally, like Unbroken and Some Girls, for example, and it's been amazing watching Heartwork thrive all these years. The coffee is amazing, and I'm thrilled to support this company. Once again, visit heartworkcoffeebar.com to place an order. That is H-E-A-R-T, work, coffeebar.com. Welcome to the first ever podcast. My name is Jeremy Bohm. I am your host. And if this is your first time here, this is a show where I interview artists of all kinds about the first experiences in their art form that led them to where they are today. My guest this week for episode 162 is Drew Speziali of the band Circle Takes the Square. I'm so thrilled this happened. Drew hasn't done a lot of long form interviews, especially not podcasts. Um, this may be the first. Don't quote me on that. But um, I was very honored that he was down to do this. This came to fruition as Christina and I from Crowdway talked about Circle Takes the Square on her interview. And Drew and I got back in touch. We toured together back in 2011. Um, I've always had such a deep love and affinity for Circle Takes the Square. I find them to be one of the most unique bands to come out of the Screamo sort of world. We get into what form their sound in this interview, and it uh, it makes so much sense, but also stuff you wouldn't expect, especially when, when we get into songs they played at their first show. Strap in for that. I got to say, if you've never spent time with the record as the roots undo, you got to do that. It is one hell of a record. Um, I want to let you know also that if you are new here, there's a bonus episode available right now where Drew answered questions that were submitted by subscribers. You can access that by going over to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon. You can access that for as little as $3 a month, get access to all the other previous bonus episodes. If you subscribe for just a little bit more, you yourself can submit questions to upcoming guests. There's a Discord channel. All sorts of fun stuff is happening over there. It would mean a lot to me, and I, uh, the, whole, the whole venture would appreciate it. Um, also, if you haven't subscribed to the show on Spotify, Apple, wherever it is you're listening to this, please do so. Leaving a positive rating and review, those things help. That's why everyone asks you to do it, and it would mean a lot to me. Also, I want to mention, Drew has a new project called Drawn Bow which is fucking awesome. Um, we get into talking about that a little bit here, but I want to make sure that you don't think Drew has only Circle Takes a Square up his sleeve. His new project, Drawn Bow, is really, really good. You could check it out over on Bandcamp. A quick note about this episode, about the audio in particular. 
Drew lives on a farm and the Wi-Fi scenario was a little tough. So you'll notice moments where he sounds a little glitchy, slightly sci-fi. Thankfully, we were able to preserve the interview, but wanted to give you a heads up before it started. All right, without further ado, here is my conversation with the mysterious, ethereal, unique, kind. It's Drew Speziali. Hey, Drew. It is good to see you. We were just talking for like a sec, obviously, before we started recording. And um, yeah, I was trying to actually do the math earlier. I do think it's been definitely over 10 years since I've seen you. And it's so nice to see you. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, yeah, I think it was, did we tour in 20, 2011 or 2012? I want to say it was, that what you're... it was, a. I think it was 2012 because it was our first like headlining tour, I think officially, like other than just doing like short little DIY spurts or something like that. But like, yeah, um, we were so, so excited that you all agreed to do those oh, yeah. couple shows with us. I think it was like just Florida and maybe one other, maybe Louisiana. I think it was yeah. Louisiana. We ended up there uh, for sure. Alabama. Cause it was I around think. Birmingham. Oh, true, true. Yeah. Cause it was around the fest. I think that was the point. It is great to reacquaint. It's very nice to chat and your podcast is awesome. I love it. It's very inspiring oh, and cool. So I appreciate that. And I'm going to just say, it, I feel like you look, I mean, you know, people who are listening don't know that we actually can see each other, but uh, I want to say you look even younger somehow than uh, <laughs> than when we hung out before. I don't know. I'm aging in reverse, I guess. Yeah. No, you, I think you are. I think you are. You're easy on the eyes <laughs> um, yourself, Mr. Mom. Easy on the eyes. <laughs> That's very sweet of you. Um, so, yo, are you from, Is the, I know the band is based out of Savannah, but are you personally from Savannah? I'm from Virginia. Um northern virginia oh. and it's it's where i live now as well so i grew up um outside of a town called front royal um okay and then moved to savannah and that's where circle takes the square started what brought you to savannah is that like a school situation or was it just a new location what what brought you there yeah i went to college in savannah at savannah college of art and design and studied illustration there and then i lived there for a decade i stayed um, after, after completing school and circle was full on at that time. So we were based out of there. Yeah. We carried on as a band, uh, but we all ended up living in different places. So after that 10 year stretch in Savannah, um, I moved back here to Virginia where I live now. Um, and pretty much pretty close, like about a half hour from where I grew up is where I live now. So I'm on the, in the Blue Ridge Mountains here, so. Oh, got yeah. it, got it. So, yeah, but we we kept yeah, going was... as a band, and then we were doing everything remotely from our second full length decompositions that era. Um, we were just practicing remotely and recorded. We just would get together and you know make things happen um, periodically. Right, sure, that makes sense. So for school, was it? um sorry if you if maybe i missed it was it like specifically an arts college or was it a great arts program at the specific college it's an art school yeah they have a pretty full range of of focuses but um i studied illustration kathy was in film yeah uh, she studied film and so they had film oh. design it was really design um folk mostly design focused like graphic design and, and uh computer animation and stuff like that um yeah. So yeah, it's art school. Yeah. 
if you've ever you, awesome. have you been awesome. to savannah have you guys is there i don't know if there's what the venue situation probably pretty small maybe small scale or i don't know what they have going on there now we've never played there but we just almost just like kind of recently in the last couple of years uh, i think it was last year or something like that we had a long drive that put us to like have savannah be like a stopping point nice. and it was just such a beautiful beautiful city how was your it time is. there yeah oh it's a gorgeous city it, really one of the most beautiful cities i think i've been to in, in the states and um yeah it was a magical time for sure it's it's an enchanted city you know i mean it's it's very haunted and there are layers of like strange you know <laughs> like it's a strata of history and magic and enchantment um, so it's a very weird place to set up camp for a while. I'll tell you that much. You get very entrenched in it. And um, I think like a lot of, there are a lot of cities like this, but it, it tends to be um, now having some perspective, not living there. It seems like a bit of a vortex, a challenging place. Once you get established there, it's hard to leave a little bit. I think that's maybe on a slightly more metaphysical level, but it feels like, a place that kind of captures you a bit like a spider's web you know it's like there's a lot of beauty and things to keep you there um <laughs> but then after a while i mean i think it's easy to get a little caught up in in some of that the darker energies there so it's my hot take it's, it's, <laughs> no that that makes total sense uh it's, but i love it's it funny. i lo absolutely love the city for sure it's amazing yeah so when we actually now that i'm remembering it was a place that on a long drive, we pulled off to like kind of recharge and get food and stuff like that before we had to keep going. But we were on tour with the band thrice and they were on a bus. So they got to actually just like drive there and stay overnight. And we drove oh, cool. past them. And I guess they were doing some sort of like haunted tour or like, yeah. is that like a pretty touristy thing that happens there? Yeah. They have like carriage tours that are like ghost tours and stuff it claims like many cities it claims to be the most haunted city in the u.s or something but i don't know how they have the metrics yeah. to to back that one <laughs> exactly. a haunted building per capita yeah they haven't somehow have measured that <laughs> they've quantified it but uh i mean everyone i knew for sure and i have experienced some really weird things there you know in all the apartments and everything everyone had weird ghost stories and stuff when we were living there. Do you have one one specific one that stands out to you? It's okay. So the thing about Savannah for me was that it was like this vortex of synchronicities and the period when we were writing a lot of circle stuff, especially the, the demo through As the Roots Undo, um, it was like just this, it, it, the city seemed to amplify any of these kind of like mystical leanings or like spiritual experiences that you're sort of that we were grappling with I think individually um so it was weird so uh but i lived in this very um, marginal apartment uh, with my friend rob for a little while it was dilapidated for sure you could see the dirt floor you could see the dirt ground and stuff there's like massive holes there's spiders all over it and we lived downstairs uh from these two guys that were kind of like kind of like frat boy kind of dudes or what you know a little more like what status quo kind of dudes and they lived upstairs and they'd yeah. be like they like had a jacked up jeep out front and stuff so they lived directly above us and they'd be like dude it's so haunted up there 
with there's like chains dragging across the floor at night and these guys were like they were freaked out and uh rob and i i was having like subtle things and my friend yeah. rob he's like he was like into reiki and stuff he was like pretty tuned in you know to the etheric and um he was like do i see things in the mirror when i'm looking around but okay but i didn't have any like major revelatory thing all this subtle stuff was going on in my life at that time that the apartment was resonating with all that and stuff but it was pretty subtle but uh years later um i my future wife moved into a, a new apartment and she was telling me where it was and i was like oh i used to live right near there for sure and she's telling me the street address and stuff i was like that was really close to this crazy haunted apartment i used to live in and and i rode my bike up to the address and i looked and it was the she lived upstairs they had renovated and her, her bedroom was like the haunted jocks bedroom <laughs> i was like no this is crazy no way i was just more freaked out than anything and uh it turned out nothing happened i don't know sometimes i've heard that sometimes in renovations and stuff it can kind of like drive the spirits away or something you know who knows but yeah that <laughs> it yeah. was just more i was just like one of those but it's a good example of that synchronicity it's like literally she lived in this place i was essentially terrified of uh just from the you know previous experience that so was really funny it wow. just ended up right there same spot you know could have been anywhere in the whole city so let me ask you this when you were growing up what was the first thing that you remember connecting with musically that felt like it was yours maybe not something that was like being played in the house by parents or something like that but something that you found that um, kind of gave you a sense of it's identity. so hard to pin this down <laughs> and with me it's like when i try to uh ask my memory for something substantial it just gives me these impressionistic streams of imagery you know but i think if i could identify one thing that comes to mind is uh is the album vivid by living color I don't know if if you're familiar with that. Um, it came out in oh, eight, wow, late yeah. '80s, and um, yeah. this was I I don't know how I didn't have this was no MTV in my life yet. Um, this I don't know my friend. I had a friend Seth who was really my like music soulmate for growing up, you know. And we skateboarded, played music together, um, just quested for music, and uh, and so somehow the, the one, either he or I got this cassette vivid um by living color and it just like it totally grabbed us you know and i have i hadn't listened to i i was doing kind of like some soul searching a couple years ago and trying to understand like my story through you know through art and 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 all the influences i kind of picked up as as i went along just reflecting on that and i remembered this band and i was like oh my god that was huge like i we listened to it so much and so i revisited it a couple years ago and like maximum shred there it's there's this the guitar player is vernon reed um who's like an amazing he's incredibly yeah just amazing guitar player absolutely so yeah and i remember and there's like there's samples in it um it's powerful it's got like the it's for sure the first song it's called it was called um cult of personality yeah it just what a heavy song super awesome yeah. like interesting political um message that i can't quite understand even revisiting it i was like i don't I quite know you know it's kind of like ambiguously um like pro protest ish i think and everything they have martin luther king samples and it's yeah. super powerful and the the point of view in that is so awesome because it's kind of like 
there's some like irony in his POV. Like I, it's really interesting. And I think it's something that honestly stuck with me and that I kind of like have carried, I've carried it with me for sure. Uh, sort of that there's just, like tonality there that's like a little ambiguous he's being kind of there's sarcasm and it's but it's unclear you can't he's like an untrustworthy narrator you know which i love that in in music or yeah um medium i just listened to uh an interview with paul banks from interpol that my friend yassi did and he also referenced that i believe as maybe like the first cd he ever bought was that album they're almost sort of like a meeting ground between the the like sort of hair metal stuff that was happening in the in the 80s but also then mixed with like sort of like the LA red hot chili pepper sort of energy as well it's like sort of this amalgamation of those things so yeah so that was one like yeah yeah where did you go from there like what other influences did you start taking or what other musical journeys did you were you into pop music or did you continue down sort of like aggressive sort of metally stuff like what what was your journey it was really mixed bag um my so I, I guess i should establish like a little bit of context if we're digging into that uh i feel like my childhood a little, little bit unconventional maybe conventional for the 80s like my, my dad lived in massachusetts i lit i grew up in virginia with my mom and my grandmother uh lived nearby so i spent a lot of time with with her when i was really little she had like a church organ like not like a huge one but like a compact organ and she was taking organ lessons and like my first musical memory is listening to her play that organ and just the resonance of it and especially like like she was learning moonlight sonata it's a beethoven um song and it's really hanging out in these minor chords you know i just remember the the effect of like the resonance of those minor chords just permeating, like coming in and out of a nap or something, you know, and just hearing the power of those chords in that instrument and my grandmother playing yeah. that. Um, that was the first like musical, you know, substantial musical uh, memory that I think also uh, established some kind of a through line in the aesthetic that I've been um chasing and that i've found appealing you know in in other in other mediums but also music for a long time so that sort of that darkness and that resonance but um uh but my dad also so i visited my dad in the summers for uh, chunks of time and in in massachusetts and he was a active musician um so he was like a really engaged in the local music scene and playing like like an amalgam of folk and blues and rock and original songs and covers and everything um but it was like just visiting him and being entrenched in his lifestyle as essentially a diy you know musician um probably had a pretty significant impact on me because it was like just demonstrating that you just go do what you can just go do stuff you know you can just go make music there's no one stopping you from doing all this stuff so um you know, I'd get, get dragged around to his band practices, uh, carry gear <laughs> with my sister <laughs> and I were, were always in tow um, for my dad's endeavors. And we'd go to the copy shop and he would make, you know, his cassette covers and flyers for gigs or whatever. Um, and then go to music stores and like record stores, music stores all the time, bringing flyers, picking up albums, whatever. And uh, 
So I was with him just sort of under his wing for periods of time throughout the year. And he started making my sister and I mixtapes when I was really young. Um, and he was into, you know, his 60s era stuff, classic Beatles, Stones, Dylan, Neil Young are probably his big four. But his record, yeah. his so, but his record collection was extensive. And as I was growing up, every time like I could, I would catch wind of something here in Virginia with my, among my friends, or we'd kind of have some kind of, you know, hear a reference to something. I could go up there and just pull a, pull the the LP out of his collection and hear something. So like, you know, it, it morphed from just getting super into Stones and Dylan and, yeah. and Neil Young early from him. And then into like Beach Boys and all just all the classic stuff. But then he had like Captain Beefheart, Tom Waits, Leonard Cohen. Um, I mean, he had like jazz records. Wow. Uh, you know, it was so it was like a portal to just yeah. the the history of music in the last several decades or whatever, you know. That's so. amazing because it's like, yeah, I, you can hear that in all the things that you've come to make where there is that sort of obviously underlying minor chord creepiness that could come from like organ style music and then also the mix with stuff like stones to like tom waits and like uh, captain beefheart like the more challenging music there that's yeah. really interesting that's that's, that's cool, cool yeah and it was just through and so i'd go up and so his mixtapes i would bring with me and like i said i was really seeking refuge it was it was hard i mean this wasn't easy as so many people know you know like having um your folks in two different locations and totally. stuff and going through that so i mean it's not whatever it's like i said par for the course in the 80s for sure um yeah but definitely music became like a safe haven for me and it was such a mental world that i could retreat to so starting off carrying those mixtapes and listening to those and then starting to go up there and just dub cassettes from <laughs> from him like i just rip albums when i go up there um and he was also totally aware of and hip to like a lot that was going on um in indie you know music and stuff like he read rolling stone and all that so wow, he was picking yeah. up stuff so i got like i remember getting the pixies doolittle from him really oh, early, damn. like before this before nirvana broke you know and just yeah. that one that was awesome that record blew my mind um yeah and uh the other there's other examples clash got in the clash all this stuff before i got into the i i also got thrown into the very typical stream of mtv and just whatever was being heavily marketed to our age group and going down yeah. that trail i did eventually also pick up that current you know and then there was a simultaneous skating punk and hip-hop thread so it kind of all but initially, though, it was like all just coming at me from my dad's record collection and his influence and stuff. And then and then I bring that stuff to my friends and then they would throw something else on the pile, you know. So yeah. it was really pretty, pretty amazing to have access to a lot of cool stuff at that time. Um, yeah. As as a fellow child of divorce, I totally understand like the the uh, grappling on like grappling onto things that um you can connect with your parents on you know like even if it's individually kind of a thing so that totally makes sense to me that like you get this like connection and excitement about i gotta ask is your pops record collection still around is that something that it you is. started he's to still, inherit 
he gives me stuff and once in a while he's still around and um and i'm, I'm blessed That's for that and yeah and um he's still an active musician uh john speziali um still nice. put he put a record out uh earlier this year so you know it's uh, it's inspiring it's amazing music yeah. is his his path like completely and it, he is it is his passion and he has followed it to the to its furthest extent it's, it's remarkable so yep and his record collection is epic since since he's making you mixtapes and stuff like that i'm curious what at what point did you um do you remember buying an album for yourself like what like with your own money like that's usually a question like the first time you remember purchasing with your own money it's so hard to pin that one down because like i said yeah. we were going to music stores a lot and i would get a lot from him but then once in a while yeah i would pick something up too and um i remember definitely buying um J the are you experienced by Jimi hendrix that that oh, okay, that yeah. cassette i bought that cassette because he didn't he was into hendrix he showed me footage of the woodstock stuff but then i definitely picked up on that i was like this dude is like burning his guitar you know it just <laughs> was like yeah. the most chaotic and amazing sounding stuff i'd heard just so um and so i just picked up on the energy of of hendrix and so i remember buying that cassette and i think i bought a maximum rock and roll the same day that was at this weird like head shop kind of thing <laughs> like a sh they had like bootleg dead stuff you know probably i'm sure like just piles yeah. of really kind of like that obscure kind of ob obscure 60s stuff but i bought yeah are you experienced on cassette and got really into that as well and this would have been also probably around that a little before the mtv threat thing started from in my life you know where i followed all the pop culture but but yeah i got heavy into hendrix and then it was right before then they started putting out those reissues i don't know like the ultimate experience was the name of right. the, uh the, the collection that they put out and they put all these like really juiced up reissues so i got into all that stuff pretty heavy um so but yeah hendrix you know, amazing i mean obviously right i think everyone that's a hilarious statement yeah. to be making but but when you really do go back and listen to that from our current perspective, the the um, the, the dissonance and rawness of that of what they captured, it's not polished at all. It's not. I mean, they did not overproduce those records. They just let it be um, organic and incredible. You know, I mean, it's mind blowing. As someone who obviously went on to make artwork for albums and things like that i was curious and i apologize because i didn't put this in the uh i'm pulling the curtain back and you know i did not send this to you as a question in the in the in the email but i'm just um, not gonna answer remember... it then it wasn't in there <laughs> sorry do, moving do on do you remember any do you remember any albums that ever caught your eye that um like out like album artwork wise that excited you that would maybe be like an influence you think for you later on down the line to, to where like you were like became interested in album artwork yeah it's so weird i cannot pinpoint like an album artwork from from before our current kind of or maybe mid 90s yeah. that i was like that's mind-blowing like for some reason i i just i know i was aware because i literally like handled the led zeppelin records and so they're cool and i thought they were cool and interesting you know but yeah. for some reason that's it never nothing was like i'm obsessed with this the tangible version of this particular record that didn't sure. really happen i there nothing comes to mind and i'm sure it wasn't like 
it's not like I was not into whatever, like looking at stuff. I, I think um, this is the caveat here is that it, until I got into like punk and some underground stuff, and then I think the aesthetic started to really seep in. But right. honestly, and all that other kind of kind of more mainstream stuff, even the pop stuff in the '90s or the pop, I call it, but you know, like like Nirvana, the grunge, whatever, all the alternative music and stuff. I, I never like totally vibe yeah. i don't think i mean i'm maybe overlooking something here like i said this is really hard for me to dig back into my memory stream but yeah nothing comes to mind but you know i was obsessed with comics for a little while in my life and and there were some pretty awesome comics so i think that the trifecta for me was like the music um you know and then comics and then i got into film too or like just yeah, like a little later, it was in my high school yeah. times. And I think the, those three mediums probably kind of composited in a way for me um, that just kind of like set a foundation for my artistic explorations, you know, down the line. But comics were heavy. So that's where I was really into visual art, was okay. really digging into. I'm pretty sure that would have been like, because I'm, yeah, when I was a kid, like my friends and I tried to make a comic book and I was drawing um, obsessively, really, too. So music, and drawing like those those are the ways that i just spent my time as a kid really so sure yeah. and so and that makes yeah. sense to me too to where you're if you're already into comics and you're already into drawing and stuff like that you're probably only thinking about music as the actual music you're not thinking about the album artwork probably as a kid because you already have your mind blown by comic books and things like that and that's probably where the divide was where you're like that's just music and now this is the art it could be yeah pa comics were powerful if you you know if you let if, if you resonated with it because it's story and imagery you know yeah. and that's like kind of a really a core element of human expression going back like to really our essential you know um it's it is us it's like story and even if you look at like paleolithic art or whatever cave art you know we've been drawing pictures to coincide with stories for all of human history so totally comic books are like a weird base you know expression of that fundamental element of being human it's interesting yeah there were some cool ones there were so in the 90s i could be a little i don't know how i don't want to get too weird about comics here but i i got and again a sort of brief for me my interest in that but um there was one called the max that was oh really yeah weird. the mtv show the, yes the MTV show. show yeah totally and you know that artwork i mean how interesting that it i don't know if you you know to me it like really stood out among like basic superhero art was is was okay but when i got into comics it was like there was this other facet going on where um some of the stuff that I was getting was like pretty beautiful art and the coloring was was really a different it was like a newer coloring technique that they were doing with computers i guess out of note they started a newer coloring technique so max had that this other one called spawn that they made a movie out of but i loved yeah. anyway the illustration style the detail some of the um some of the uh I don't know the exaggeration in the proportions and stuff. This is interesting. Anyway, the Max was really avant-garde um, as far as the illustrations and stuff. And, the, and then the storytelling was fascinating. It was like this kind of like parallel world thing going on. And this very, it was very psychological. Um, and yeah. it was very like Twin, Twin Peaks was also happening at that time. That was another thing. So I saw 
Twin Peaks when I was like 10 years old, started watching that <laughs> on TV. And, um, and so there's just these layers of like this psycho like psychology and weirdness, um, darkness and mystery were really front and center in my artistic preoccupations yeah. at that time. The comic kind of paralleled the show Twin Peaks I was really obsessed with. And um, yeah, so all that stuff composited. I feel like for people our age, you and I are pretty close in age. It's, it's like, there's so much amazing art that was like, even, you know, on MTV at the time. I mean, like between the Max, the Head, Liquid Television, all of that sort of stuff was like so bizarre and weird. And the fact that it was just like on regular, you know, MTV uh, was just like, I don't know. I, I It makes, you know, it's it's easy to feel old and be like, man, things were so much better then. But like, truthfully, we were so lucky to be around and like able to process that stuff as it was coming at us, even at an early age, because it was just so different and so weird. Totally. And it took some digging. I remember not ever knowing when that would be on. Like, I didn't understand. Totally. TV yeah. You know, I was like, do you remember that? Like, I was like, when the hell can I watch the Max on TV? Yeah. And I think I caught like the last five minutes of it once, but I knew it was avail somehow available. So that was the hard thing. It was like chasing a rabbit or something. I mean, you really had to like be at the yeah. right place at the right time. I, yeah. I can never understand that. Same with like comics. I had to go hunt for ones that weren't just on the rack at like 7-Eleven or whatever, you know? Right, and, right, right. But there's some gratification in that. But I totally agree with you. I mean, it was like our, what was available was so limited. But on the other hand, some of this stuff, you're like, how did they let that go? Like, how did that get totally. funded and released into the yeah. wild? Like, makes no sense. Twin Peaks is a stellar example of that. Hey there, do you need to get some merch printed? My incredible sponsors over at Anchorfish Printing has a great deal going on right now. You can get 100 soft style shirts for only 499 bucks. Do the math, that's a great deal. For details, email michael at anchorfishprinting.com. You can also visit anchorfishprinting.com and see what else they have to offer. They are a one-stop shop for all your merch needs. And don't forget to mention the first ever podcast when you place your order. What was the first concert you went to? Uh, okay. Um, so concert I went to would have been, uh, well, there are probably three classifications here. Main, super mainstream version was I went, my dad took me to see Neil Young um at like a, you know outdoor kind of amphitheater um yeah and so, so saw neil young with cracker and, <laughs> and the spin doctors i think was the was the uh the the group there of, of bands. true so, sign of the time package that's that was the package that's amazing. yeah spin doctors cracker and neil young so and okay. i just i remember not it wasn't too invested in really any of them but it was cool. I saw my dad's appreciation for Neil Young, for sure. And that obviously amazing to have seen that in that era. And then, uh, you know, like local then. So there yeah. was that world, you know, and then I feel like um, the first like time I saw kids making music, you know, like people that it was really relatable to me in a small space was at a community center 
show in Front Royal, small town that I live at here near nearby here in in, in Virginia. Um, and the band was called Broken Plow, and we were kind of a rural area. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> and they played like you know it just blew my mind. I guess they were high school. I didn't know the people in the band or anything i knew a few of the people that went you know we went to the show together and it was just like a people just dropped their kids off or something you know it was like madness in there and uh broken plow played and they did like a couple they were actually really good in hindsight i'm looking thinking back i'm like it was a pretty convincing high school band um it blew my mind at the time they played like covers and stuff like like they did like some Zeppelin and I don't even remember most of it. I doubt I even, I, I don't know if I even recognize it was kind of like pop stuff, I think at the time or whatever, yeah. but yeah, yeah. But it was, it made an impact. I was like, Whoa, like people, you know, peers can do this. Um, That's so, such a yeah, formidable feeling <clears throat> when you witness that the first time. Like I have memories too, of like going to, uh, I was in junior high, but like or like sixth grade or something, but I went to the high school battle of the bands. And I remember like when you think about it, you're like, man, that band was so good. It'd be so funny to be able to transport yourself and see it with adult eyes and be like, whoa, that's that was tough. But when you're young, you're so susceptible to everything that you're like, it <laughs> yeah. just blows your mind to see people around your age able to do something that to your mind is like, Oh, that's what my dad does. That's what adults do. That's what Neil Young does. But getting to see young people do it, it really does blow your mind. That's really amazing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's that. You translate it into your world then and you're like, whoa. But I mean, and honestly, I feel like they kind of pulled it off. I'd like to see Broken Plow do a reunion. I'd go. <laughs> I'd be I I'd be stoked on that. Um, so you mentioned uh you know, your grandma playing organ and stuff like that. I was curious when you started playing music and was that your first instrument or did you start playing guitar first, maybe through your dad? Yeah, I uh, did start piano first and um, played that. I played that organ during some practice sessions. My sister and I took piano lessons and I think there was some thought uh, in the family that if we're going to start on the musical path, we need to start with piano um mm -hmm. for some reason i we i took it for a little while until they would finally let me play guitar which is all i wanted to do so so yeah so piano first for maybe a year at, at most i would say and then eventually at my school they offered um some lunchtime guitar lessons and and uh signed i signed up for that and then <clears throat> started playing acoustic you know just like had a, a kind of a whatever low low grade acoustic guitar and yeah. played at lunchtime with my friend Seth, who was also, you know, who I was questing for music with. So yeah, yeah. so eventually gu guitar was the next thing, and and acoustic for a while before I could get someone to get me an, an electric guitar. And so, how old were you at that point? Uh, I think I was probably started playing at nine or I think nine or ten, maybe around then. Yeah, picked up the guitar. Yeah probably 10, probably nine for piano, maybe. Yeah, something like that. So. so if I'm doing math correctly, which I think I am, I mean, you're primed to be like starting to play guitar around the time Nirvana is starting to come out and break. You're probably already into the Pixies and stuff like that. Is that yeah. kind of where you, is that like the kind of music you start trying to learn or are you trying to learn 
uh, older stuff because you mentioned being into Jimi Hendrix and things like that. Like, what was your interest in playing guitar? Like, what were you trying to do? Yeah, a little bit before the MTV exposure for in my life. Um, now MTV, mind you, was definitely going strong, but I didn't have, we didn't have cable <laughs> at my house, yeah. so I sure. just didn't have any access, but I knew we could listen to the, we listened to the radio. So there was some, some parallel, you know, exposure yeah. there, but I remember bringing in, so we could just bring in music to, um, our guitar teacher. And I remember bringing Hendrix. We learned how to play purple haze right out of the gates. I think that was probably our first day. We're like, can we learn this? So yeah, okay. there's a real meaty chord in there. Um, I don't know chords really that well, but there's this really amazing chord. It's all like inverted. It's every finger, you know, um, it's yeah. like the crux of that song that, that really dissonant one. It's like a diminished minor or something, whatever. Um, yeah. So learning that was cool. And then some of the little hooks in between or those little transitional elements and stuff. So that was a really good starting place, I think for sure. And that's amazing. Um, yeah. But, but then, uh, pretty soon after that, yeah, Nirvana, I, you know, and, and I was into, yeah, listening to, um, at that time, the Pixies and I had a, we met another guy in high school who had other Pixies records. I just had Doolittle and I remember right. borrowing Trump Lamond from him and stuff and just getting more into that. And, um, yeah. And then we quickly started to play music. Like as soon as I think, as soon as we could figure out who could play what, and we delegated the instruments and stuff, my friend Seth yeah. played bass. He got a bass. I eventually got a um, harmony electric guitar. Like, yeah, like a, you know, pretty low, low, also low grade electric guitar. But um, and like a twelve inch crate amp was my perfect. That was the big score. Yeah, it could. Yeah, do yeah. I was so hyped. You know, when I, the fr that was like the first thing I wanted to do on the amp. I was like, can I get feedback? And right. I so that was wonderful. I just I remember like getting I in there learning how to do it <laughs> like where, how do i position the guitar to get them with these different sounds of feedback that was my first thing but if it, it's uh, like the same kind of crate uh amp that i'm thinking of that i had something similar i remember awesome. not understanding i remember not understanding like the idea of a distortion pedal i just thought it just like came that way but they had that like there was like that little button yeah the on button a, yes the button. exact the one dude yeah yeah you push it in and yeah. then all of a sudden it's like a, a little gray crunchier yeah. crunchy yes. just awful just so abrasive it's like the treble <laughs> you could not tame oh yes. the presence on that bite oh but you could get some feedback when you push that little gray button yeah exactly so that's what yeah, i would do but i was like i hate this the way this sounds i was like is this really <laughs> distortion because you know you hear it on right. records for so long you're just like is that really oh man i suck like i can't make this sound good at all um, but the feedback was, you know, achievable. But then, right. you know, we had a friend who was like, no, dude, you use a distortion pedal. We were like, what? Right. And then the whole new rabbit hole from there. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So what was, the, what was the first band? What was it called? It was called X-Fed, like FedEx. Okay. X-Fed. Yeah. We even just stole the logo and reoriented it. So we've got As some pretty would. awesome patches. Yeah, it was great patches. Look good. Nice design. We yeah. didn't really have to design the logo. We just rearranged it. was right it. there. So, yeah. <laughs> so the corporate ID was strong and um and we were we were just blazing out of the gates, man. So, yeah, we did 
Um, yeah, it was me. We were three piece. My friend, we found he was he was uh, he lived in another county. Um, our friend Johnny played drums, and we kind of linked in with him. And he already had a drum kit. He had two older sisters who were like in bands, and they oh, knew cool. about punk shows. And we were like, "Whoa, there's punk shows out there in the further re regions of the area." So I'd hop on the bus, go to my friend Seth's house, and his mom would take us over the hill to my friend John, to Johnny's, we would practice at his house. And then sometimes his sister would give us rides to like a record store we found out about in Georgetown called Smash um, outside of DC. We were close enough to DC that we could yeah. start to tap into that punk rock world. And then, you know, then buying records, buying seven inches, whatever, f you know, fishing for CDs and LPs and stuff out there and tapping into the local-ish that that area is punk rock young punk rock scene and then the touring circuit we started to be able to kind of figure that out how yeah. i mean going to going to touring bands shows and stuff so so yeah we started to play we our first show was a battle of the bands at a school like we somehow they let us in to this lock-in and we played and i was in two bands i don't remember the name of the other one one it was awesome <laughs> friends <laughs> i was friends who were twins who like just came up with these amazing songs it sounded like or discord it sounded like early discord stuff like i was oh, like sick. how are they doing that i want to i'll yeah. do it I'm, I'm in so i played guitar i think in that in their band and then we played xfed um played our set xfed was kind of like <clears throat> at that show <laughs> we played i'm pretty sure we played both minor threat covers like both of the mi songs that minor threat covered we did those oh covers. oh oh sure sure stepping yeah. stone and what is it good guys don't wear white or whatever yeah yeah we yeah. played those songs for some reason and then we played like probably i think we might have played a green day song and then a couple things that we threw together original songs so something like that it was all a blur it was exciting yeah. my adrenaline completely overrode my like i remember the feeling of just having no sense that the show happened after it was over um, which was a thing that even into circle, the beginning of circle, I had this adrenaline response to being, you know, in front of people playing music that totally overwrote my circuitry. <laughs> and I would basically come to after playing a full set and be like, whoa, how was that? <laughs> like that was, I, whoa, we played a shit we just played. So that happened yeah. for sure at that battle of the bands. I had to work on that, how to tame that um experience but but anyway yeah yeah that's fun that like sort of disassociative thing that your brain can do to sort of get through something or yeah i i, I know what you're talking about for sure it's I a very that. strange feeling you know i yeah. have anxiety dreams sometimes about me playing performance or whatever and um and when i do a lot of a lot of the time it's that feeling happens like i'm all getting ready to play a show and then all of a sudden in my dream I'm coming to you and often it's like with circle. So it's like, I'll be like, I'll go up to Kathy, the dream version of Kathy. And I'll be like, <laughs> Hey Kathy, like, how was that? How was the show? I have no like tangible memory. And it's like really in, in the dream, it's super stressful that I like have no su sense of the, how it went. It was, you know, it's a weird feeling anyway. Yeah. <laughs> were yeah. you, were you singing in those bands too? Or were you just I playing sang, guitar? Like, 
I did somehow I ended up singing. Yeah, I sang and played guitar. Yep. And we were three piece. And I think our I think the, our bass player Seth also sang. Actually, you know, come to think of it, I feel like all of us had microphones. So, okay. Yeah, Sick. I think we all did did a little fair That takes a little of bit of the pressure off. Yeah. I guess so. Yeah. I didn't think of it as pressure though. It really did come it came naturally. It was just that in those moments my suddenly my brain just wouldn't work and I don't know. I was like, okay. But yeah. And then we started playing um xfed started playing shows in the closer to dc world and that's where we brought shoulders with like um a band called nitpick who was went on to be you know members of both strike anywhere eric kane is the drummer in strike anywhere and uh, his brother jeff is in city of caterpillar and the taylors uh notoriously now in page 99 so that was the the world that we tapped into um as xfed and we played shows with those type those bands or peripheral bands and stuff in that community for a while that was what we did that's in high school so that's awesome i was curious i was gonna ask since you mentioned being from the virginia area at what point those guys uh came into your life like that's that's I was, that makes a lot of sense i had chris on here i think it was earlier this year um awesome. and awesome. yeah we talked about that but yeah that's that's super interesting yeah. i was gonna ask you know down the line like you know um how the the page 99 split came to be and i guess that that's sort of the the early that's iteration the of origin was just yeah. yeah it was knowing them and being in that that house show and community center show you know world uh here in in northern virginia near here yeah. Did, and then we did, all started going to shows to like, like touring, you know, touring shows in DC and Richmond and stuff. So then, you know, our, our worlds just kind of merged with a little bit. We never, XFed never recorded and we never, we, I mean, we did boombox recordings and, um, but we never properly recorded and we never played like a bigger show we just played community center stuff and um, yeah. like house shows and stuff around that area. We never jumped out, you know, um, but we would go to a lot of shows and punk, punk shows and stuff. So yeah. was circle takes a square, the band that came after X fed, or did you do a few bands between those two? There were kind of some other efforts. I think X fed did come to a close um, and it morphed into some more intense kind of crustier punk stuff and yeah uh but none of them it didn't last none of those efforts really lasted as long xfed was definitely like the longest running earliest one and then i think as i was in high school so that was in yeah i guess middle probably i was in middle school into into high school early high school and then and then yeah it kind of fizzled and then I, I, but I played with the same members in different bands mm-hmm. and whatever, you know, we, I just, I played a lot of music and was, I remember working on different things and then we'd play like one show or something or do a couple practices, play one show. And then some other, some other like, um, combination of people would be totally. playing, you know, we'd be playing. So those didn't really have much, yeah, shelf life, but, <clears throat> but we did that for a while, so- but then, but that was here in Virginia and no recording of that stuff we did play like i think a couple of those bands played a little slightly bigger shows here and there um like i remember playing with choking victim um oh wow and they it was random it was like i had a friend who booked shows and i don't know he was just like get on there and i was like sure <laughs> we'll play yeah um, it was like our one show we played 
that it wasn't a big show it was again a very like out of the way place so it was weird that they were yeah. playing but it was pretty funny anyway um and and then i went to savannah then circle started and that was like first recording first tours first real shows whatever yeah i was, that was yeah i was curious how quickly you met everybody that would then form circle church square once you went to college and were in school like did you guys meet pretty quickly and how how soon did the idea of starting a band come together okay yeah it um we started purely for the goal of playing a battle of the bands like that was the ex only reason we formed wow. we started playing music together and that was i moved to savannah in the fall because again this was for college so I went in the fall of 99 and started playing i met uh, jay our drummer jay win um who knew kathy and we met at a, i think we met at a damage show damage is like the reason i moved to savannah um that was a band. This is another, a little bit of an example of this like synchronistic vortex of Savannah. But um, I remember seeing Dammit at a festival in Richmond. Incidentally, you know, I think, I don't remember if Page 99 played the festival, but I remember hearing, I think I saw Mike or Blake, one of them had their, had their demo, the Page 99 demo. And I went to this festival in Richmond. Anyway, bumped into them. They had the demo and I remember putting in, hanging out one of them in, and putting it in my car and we were cruising around listening to their demo. I was like, holy shit, dudes, good job. They did a, you yeah. know, it was like the first, like, that was like, it felt like a jump among peers. It was like, yeah. they were in that world now. And anyway, I saw Dammit play and I was like, oh, I know they're from Savannah and they blew my mind. <laughs> they were so many. I don't know if you know them. They're, they're legendary. I Southeast yeah Canada. i have i think the only thing i ever had from them was the split with inhumanity i think but awesome. i know i'm definitely yeah. familiar so, yeah 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 they had like pus head artwork and um, totally and so like that's the era right? yes like i'm pretty i i can't i actually don't claim to know i don't have the records actually but i do have one yeah. lp called burning cold i have that it's awesome with a pus head album but that's an lp but sure, um, sure yeah but they were on some comps and i anyway but then i saw them play and and then i just knew i was like oh there's from savannah and i was considering trying to go down there for college and then saw them and was just like oh that's there's something happening there you know that just was pure magic and um you know, may she rest easy. Victoria passed away from that, from Damid, but she was an incredible vocalist, probably like the most powerful punk metal hardcore vocalist I've ever got had the pleasure of witnessing perform. Um, so if anybody hasn't heard Damid, go find some videos of them playing because her vocals are mind blowing and uh innovative and seminal really in this culture so check them out and yeah yeah, yeah. to victoria she was amazing and for so I, and for yeah, people so listening it's it's uh d-a-m-a-d that's right it occurs to me i should mention this um i went down to visit savannah you know to get a sense of the vibe i'd never been there and was considering moving there um and just walking down the street here's victoria walking the other way and I'm like, oh my God. So I went and talked to her and she was so amazing. She was so kind. And she pointed me in the direction of the, of the record store. You know, she told me where the shows were. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was so cool. And so that just sealed the deal for me. 
I was like, I'm going there. It seems you just run into iconic humans, you know? It was, seemed amazing. Right. So there's just a bit of that magic, although I found out it's a very small town, and so the likelihood of bumping into anybody you're thinking of is pretty strong. Um, but also, I think, again, it's an amplifier of that, that magic, um, that's that city. So anyway, yeah. So, okay, so I moved to Savannah. I met Jay at a damaged show. And um, he knew Kathy and Colin, I think, our other guitar player, who started off the journey of Circle Takes a Square with us. And um, so we just kind of came. He was like, oh, you play guitar? I was like, yeah. And he was like, okay, cool. <laughs> and he was like organizing it in his head. He knew there was this yeah. Battle of the Bands coming up, like the following spring. He was like, we're playing the Battle of the Bands. So I signed on. I was like, sure. I have no idea. I just wanted to play music. I had a half staff. Yeah. I was ready to rock, man. And uh, And... Yeah, and then Kathy, and then we met up, and I just bumped into them sometimes, you know. And then, and then finally, I guess I think it was like spring break time or something. We they organized a practice. We got together. We played like three songs, and mostly instrumental. One was a Get Up Kids cover. Um, that wow, probably, that is I shocking. I think here shocking for me as well. I'd never heard the Get Up Kids. It was not my world at all. That wasn't my yeah uh, well, yeah but so i don't think i've even heard it was called holiday the song so people know that song i'm sure yeah yeah I, I haven't heard that i haven't heard it i think i heard it like half of it one time but i've learned how to play it for them they just yeah. showed me how to play it and uh they sang i think colin and kathy sang otherwise instrumental and i think we played some iteration of disclaimer to the self which is a song that's on circle takes squares demo and yeah. Oh, Houdini, Houdini Logic was the other one. Yeah. And th those were some riffs, I think, kind of that I brought to the table, like most, like the majority of that. But then we, you know, worked really hard together to piece that together. But um, yeah, uh, and we played the Battle of Bands, brought the house down, what? if I could say so myself. And then the then the then we were like, oh, I guess we're a band. We didn't win. I think we got second. Came in okay. it's pretty strong pretty strong second. yeah but um yeah and then and then we we're just like i guess do we play music now are we a band and um yeah and then we just agreed that yes we now make music together and we're a band so yeah that's Damn. the origins of circle things super weird i love all of that i i love the juxtaposition of of the music that circle makes especially those songs from that demo and then randomly a get up kids cover that's like totally. an incredible Thing yeah. To think about. yeah well so and that's like kind of what circle was really like that it was like jay was representing this hardcore like hardcore which i yeah. had no clue what, what hardcore was um i was into like all the stuff we mentioned built on um i got into fugazi i got into discord but i didn't know that was hardcore i didn't know that early like yeah. minor threat was like hardcore to me it was all this punk music you know totally and and actually i should mention my first like not local not majorly huge show was fugazi show um in like 94 they played a lot yearly they played these open uh on the on the mall where there's all the monuments in dc they played these shows pretty much annually for several years and um my friend seth convinced his mom to take us to see fugazi and this was we were into minor threat and we were into 
Discord comps, those seven year and seven yeah. inches and stuff, and Void and that. <clears throat> and so we got, yeah, we got the ride to the Metro, took it into DC. All the punks started seeing punks on the Metro cars. We were like, whoa, this is legit. And then we went and saw Fugazi. And I have pictures I just found in a shoebox that we took at the show. Oh and uh, we got on stage like there were just we just noticed there was people on stage during their set so we we're like we're gonna go do that so we just went up got on stage and i'm taking pictures of like got the washington monument behind Gee, just rocking wow. out, you know I mean, beautiful pictures and then afterwards we went and said hi to them and uh that was mind-blowing and also such a glimpse into what like punk and diy music can be where it's just accessible it's just this mutual inspiration this flow of inspiration from those who are generating that music in that moment to those who are supporting that moment and it felt so reciprocal and powerful to us and that just that set me on the punk path right there you know it was like oh we can do this and i want to support this world and so then digging into those 10 inches digging in or, you know, digging into records, reading yeah. liner notes, following the, the, the trails and finding out about all those bands was the journey for like five years of my life in high school, you know, after that Fugazi show pretty much. Oh, that's, so, yeah. that's a great story. Yeah. That's, that's super, super cool. Um, yeah. And it, and it makes sense too. I mean, like when I know you, when you guys did the demo, you know, it was in like a cool manila envelope and like screen printed and all that sort of stuff. Like it seemed like right out the gate, um right. you guys were embracing that sort of do-it-yourself uh sort of mindset when creating the fully, art right fully. out the gate <laughs> that is where we're, we're just like we can do this ourselves yeah let's just go and i remember staying up drawing that insert finishing it up at like three in the morning with jay at the kinkos and just making them and whatever we did a rubbing of one of the bricks um for the we had this little cutout cover that we glued to the manila envelope and it was a rubbing from a brick along there's a graveyard in in um savannah like right in the downtown area and there's like cool bricks that had this like shape this like you know embossed kind of thing and we did a rubbing of that for the cover of that demo the initial the initial run the diy run but um but jay was bringing the hardcore thing i was bringing i got really into like punk and um like hardcore punk i guess and crust and political yeah 90s you know punk rock anti-schism and then um you know whatever all that stuff dystopia um yeah so that was my thing Cru like yeah crust and yeah. then uh, all the profane existence in that world and then jay was coming from new england with this like technical hardcore thing obviously converge and dillinger yeah. escape plan i think you know and um whatever that stuff i'd never heard that more metallic technical kind of yeah um like clean clean and like well-produced and like tight kind of vibe that was his world and then kathy and colin seemed to really vibe with some jangly guitar like emo-y what is that you know i still don't even know that stuff too much but yeah like the midwest emo sort of stuff yeah braid is braid and and um totally Yep. yeah that i don't know other stuff like that like kind of kids that looked really clean cut to me to my eyes at that time because i was used to like patches and all this yeah you know, yeah yeah dirty dirty kids making crazy sounding horrifying sounds really 
and they, they have these like very clean chords and weird dissonant, like kind of weird dissonant, but beautiful, that picking style that was Colin was bringing that to the table. And Kathy was definitely too into pop punk and yeah, pop emo. So yeah, so weird is like the weirdest, but we came together for a common goal to play three songs at the, yeah. of the band. I so, feel like that does that. make so much sense with the music that you all ended up making though. Like every aspect of that, you know, even like the <laughs> dueling vocals, uh sort oh, that, of thing between you know like that's that was a crust influence for me that was like i nausea and yeah. schism um yeah man. that that always blew my mind and i could not believe i was in a position to be in a band that had a female and male vocal yeah position i felt so lucky at that moment i was like oh my god this is so cool yeah <laughs> I want to tell you about Persistent Vision Records. They are a brand new label that has hit the ground running. They've just reissued two records from Screamo Legends, page 99, the singles collection, as well as document number eight, which is an all-time personal favorite of mine. But they're not just doing reissues. They've also just released a split between Habak and Lagrimas, who are two bands that I've absolutely got my eye on that are so good. You can order these great releases directly through PersistentVisionRecords.com or through DeathWishInc.com. Give them a follow on Instagram at PersistentVisionRecords so you don't miss out on what's coming next. So talk to me about the first recording experience then, though. So it, I'm assuming it would have been for that demo, right? First recording was the demo and must have been, so we did the battle bands. We did a few other shows. I don't, rem I don't know how we played a full, it was, it would have been a short set. And I yeah. guess we, we did those three songs still. I remember playing a couple more shows like that. And then yeah. I think we had, um, we went a full year, I think, uh, playing random house shows, maybe a couple shows at the venue and, um, just kind of piecing it together. And then, like had some breaks and got back together winter time in 2001. I'm pretty sure that's the best that I can come up with. But I think winter time 2001, we recorded the demo. Anthony, our, who is our future sound engineer and also who recorded everything we ever did, um, can't, recorded our demo. And he has like a very compact recording thing. I wish I knew what it was, but um, anyway, it was like it had its own interface, everything self-contained um, thing. I don't know how many tracks it was. It was digital and got together and recorded instrumentally. And then there was this moment of like, we, I never wrote a lyric. Really, I came up with a couple of things to do live prior to this. So I knew those parts, but they were very minimal. I think I wanted to scream into the pickups, Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary. That's in Houdini logic. So I yeah. knew I did that part. So I was like, well, I'll do that. <laughs> and I guess there might've been like a line or two um, prior to the going and recording. We recorded all the songs on the demo and then <clears throat> it was like, whoa, we gotta do vocals. And uh, I, so I don't, I wish I remember these preceding conversations, how, but somehow I elected to do them, to do, I guess I was like, oh, well, let's get it started. And I wrote some lyrics. We did it all in the studio came up with lyrics. Jay was also instrumental in that demo um, vocal session. And we were just kind of like delegating, write a line, write a line. Right. We need something here. Just piecing it together really quick. 
and wow. I got in and just did a vocal and had never recorded vocals or anything. And, um, and then people, and then we heard it and we were like, Whoa, is this what we're doing? <laughs> Cause it could have been anything. I think in their yeah. minds, it was still kind of like the get up kids maybe. And in yeah. my mind, it was like the most extre- extreme crust, you know, yeah. ever. So I just brought those vocal, that sort of vocal style that I heard on like <clears throat> filth, the filth blats split. That was my first, like that harsh vocal over punk music. Um, so another very instrumental for me, a very influential record was, was hearing filth. Anyway, that sent me down the crust side of things or getting used to what those vocals are like kind of getting used to the intensity of that. But so I guess that just came naturally. And I just started doing those kind of style vocals over the, the instrumentals that we had recorded. And then the, everyone did vocals. So eventually we just piled up vocal parts and figured it and yeah, kind of figured it out as we went. And Anthony was the person that you guys ended up recording. Do I want to say everything with like everything. every single circle? Every yeah. 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 That's amazing. Ever. Yeah, totally. So it's cool because it seems like you got like as the band continued and grew and understood what you were doing. I'm assuming he also was growing, too, with like his, you know, being more comfortable with recording. So in a way, it's like, you know, you guys both grew grew together in like your experiences and making music and recording music. We it was such a push and pull um, in a beautiful way with him, because I mean that in a positive reciprocal way um because he would push us with things and to get that better you know like he knew because he was coming he had he's very eclectic in his tastes but you know he was coming from a more way more technical and precise place initially but not for the demo for the demo it was like we're just all letting it be what it was but eventually you know it would be like we'd fall back on his insight and direction a lot and with vocals eventually it was like he was our guy like he would really um help us to craft what we were going for vocally and showed us what was possible and then sometimes he would push us to try to get things tighter or to layer up more vocal arrangements which we did on decompositions a lot it started to really i started really like see the potential in doing these more complex vocal arrangements that were really dialed you know as sort of supplemental sounds in the lyric expression and and he was really amazing in helping us attain that um so yeah it was a push and pull and then we pushed him out of his comfort zones a little bit with some of the heavier stuff but he'd learn and take on you know how do i make this like heavy you know so and then yeah it was a learning experience all the whole way from the starting place to the end we were learning the whole way to the end of decompositions like that was like our phd effort for everyone and um yeah took a lot took a lot of effort and work and we all were figuring stuff out along the way the entire time so but yeah anthony was awesome he's totally the whatever third fourth fifth at any given time the fourth or fifth member of circle and then he was live sound for us pretty much from the jump right 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 so what was the first circle takes a square tour and how far did you guys go well i think i was really trying to figure this out i actually had to consult my mom with for this answer and she because we stayed at her house was like what was that i remember ending up there 
um, we started in new, the first actual tour. We did some out of town deals. We knew Richmond was for some, was kind of our, this outpost for us. So we did some just drive up to Richmond and play a show kind of stuff. And then we had a, some allies in Florida as well early on. Um, there's this band called Faya from Gainesville. And so we would do a weekend with them and they would come up to Savannah and stuff. So, um, <clears throat> but yeah. So we done some stuff like that that sort of felt like tours to us, <laughs> but they were just like one or two shows. And then we did yeah. like a handful of shows, New England, starting in the Boston area and driving south. And we played like Amherst. I was trying to remember like what the shows were. And with my mom's help, she was like, you guys were making pins. We were making bottle cap pins at the house. So I was like, was there another show after yeah. Virginia? And she, so I think it was in Richmond. And, um, and my mom was like, she was like, you guys were very low on you or what did she say? Uh, something hilarious. And no, I can't remember something like there was low, low merch. Like we didn't have oh, yeah. merch at all. She was like, so we yeah. were making bottle cap pins or something. And, and, um, but then I think we played a Richmond show. So I think it was like four shows we played. I do remember, well, I could be wrong. I'm pretty sure we played with this band called Joshua fit for battle. They were, oh, kind yeah. of a, they put stuff out. And we played with yeah. them in Delaware at a house show. I'm pretty sure it was with them. So, you know, yeah, who knows. But that I'm makes sense. Sure. Yeah, it was just kind of, I, I, we didn't know who they were, but we kind of ended up with them there in Delaware. So yeah. we played like Amherst and Delaware and Richmond, I guess. Yeah. But then, okay. you know, our first like U.S. tour, that, that was like the time touring back then was so amazingly, amazingly simple and really required. It was like a leap of faith. We had like six weeks book, half booked, and we took off and did a full U.S. tour in 2002. <clears throat> I think I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah, and that so that you know that was the first like thing where we're like checking our email at a library once in a while to see if the guy in Denver can confirm. You know, you're just driving, you're <laughs> yeah. in the middle of the tour, you're still trying to lock down some stuff, and you've got. We had MapQuest. So at our disposal at that time. So we weren't right. just off an Atlas, but we were basically had a phone number and maybe an address if we were lucky for the venue. And we would just need to call the guy a couple of days before to get the address or whatever, and then try to find that. They give you directions. It was that yeah. whole six weeks of the full US doing it that way. Um, as you know, everyone, that's what everyone did. So, yeah. Yeah. So do you remember the, where did you play in California the first time? Do you have any recollection of that? I've got, I've got some recollection. I think that we may have managed to play at Gilman with terror. Um, somehow totally just threw us on a bill with terror, I think in Gilman. Oh I'm pretty God. sure that, yeah. Wow. I'm pretty sure that was our first, um, our first tour, full U.S. tour, I, th yeah. I think. I'm pretty sure. We played a bunch of California shows. We played in Galita or Galeta, um, yeah. outside of Santa Barbara. Yeah, probably at um, the Women's Center. No, we played in oh. a garage. We played in a garage, but I don't. Oh, know I was thinking about. Oh, was. hi, Galita. Was it? Was it a place called the Hard to Find? Maybe it was hard to find, but I'm not sure if that's what it was called. Okay. Uh, sure. It was in a garage. There was a garage door. I'm pretty sure yeah. it was like a very, it was total DIY. I don't know if they ever did another show. Maybe they did. It might've been a legendary venue. I'm not certain. All I remember from that is riding bikes around and going to a health food store and going and getting just destroyed by the waves at the beach there. And yeah, so fun. That was an awesome little village of a place. We loved it. 
cruising around yeah yeah um on someone's bikes from that garage i think <laughs> so but yeah and then we played like a weird oh man we played some weird dude we played some weird shows we played like in a vfw hall in um reading or something okay uh, yeah geez. around we played around in california oh we played shake cafe i'm pretty yeah. sure pretty sure on that first go round yep and oh, again amazing. later and again later we played there a few times so sure yeah. i think the first time that i saw you guys i was looking it up and it looks like it was a little bit later than i realized but it was 2006 but it was with comadre i went to two yeah. of those shows you did a little bit of the west coast with those dudes yep, yep yeah cool. it was at yeah. uh you guys played at the basement of like claremont college in Pomona okay. and then, or, or in the Pomona area. And then, um, oh, yeah, also yeah. at that like weird movie theater in the Valley that like, Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. We've done a couple of weird movie theaters, so I had to try to dial, dial that one. Yeah. Up, but yeah, I think I got it. Yeah. Cool. The Comadre, that was fun. And, um, <clears throat> and, uh, we played Santa, um, Santa Cruz too, I think on that one. At that like makes a sense. Or, or like a yeah. community center, I think. Center. Yeah, 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 Love yeah. That sounds so cool. Yeah, um, we, you know, I we made the to... rounds. Yeah, so when it came to doing As the Roots Undo, I mean, there's so many things about that album that, you know, I probably could just like ramble at you about. But I mean, that album still to this day is like so singular and its own thing. And I'm so fascinated by the background that you've given me on like the influences that you were all were coming from. And that makes a lot of sense. But something that I'm still so taken back by is like when I listen to the, you know, you read or you listen to the lyrics, it's like they're so ethereal. And that makes a lot of sense if you're taking influence from like where you're where you were all living. You know, it feels like sort of an sure. amalgamation of like not only your influences, but like the area in which you guys were making that music. And yeah. I'm just curious about, um, like, was it a, a combined effort to write these very sort of like almost, you know, fantasy like lyrics, but then randomly within those lyrics would be a very emotional, uh, an emotional line. You know, we talked about, you know, I did that interview with Christina from Gougeway and we were talking about Circle Texas yeah. Square and like, yeah. you know, within all of these very sort of fantasy like lyrics you get a line like all i ever asked was for a clean break which like feels like a very emotional line i'm curious like what what was driving the influence of writing stuff like that um yeah that, thanks that was cool to hear uh christina's perspective on on circle stuff that, it was amazing i'm humbled and uh yeah it was really cool um okay uh yeah so i think so starting with the seven inch um that was where I took the reins for lyrics. And I think that okay. was a real turning point because that was like, I just started to have fun because the demo was really exploratory. And then with the seven inch, we knew what we kind of could do live and stuff. And we had tried what we learned with the demo. So the seven inch, I remember just before the sessions, just like scrawling these really dense lyrics and I didn't have the ability at that time to listen to our music and write at the same time Interesting. So I just would play the riff and try to think over I, I didn't have the ability just because I didn't have the technology to do that yeah 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 time. so um so yeah so I would just be playing the part and thinking of a thing and then writing coming up and scratching out ideas whatever 
And that was, I think, where the like dense lyrical explosions started is on the seven inch maybe and kind of having a sense there of how to oh we could do okay and then delegating who would say what lines and stuff like oh i can hear kathy doing that line would be really cool and that that's like a vocal break and colin and me can do this so figuring out how to like at any given time in that um well throughout the history of circle it was like at any given time whoever was a member of the band was at the disposal of lyric duty like we would let everybody potentially do it so but it was fun so then i was just like arranging like mathematically okay double up on this with kathy you know all of us are doing this is a gang vocal part and yeah just figuring out how to really like um braid and weave all these vocal possibilities into the song and so that just i mean the possibilities that i was excited by i think it just started to write lots of lyrics <laughs> and then um then we would just kind of like try to sort it out in the studio were there things that lyrically that you were taking that you were taking influence by like were there other artists who are writing similar style uh vocals because it's- yeah no i so i remember reading i was read a lot back then i was like really into like literature which i don't yeah. claim to be too much now <laughs> i mean like i don't read very much now um uh, but i i read a lot back then it was before the internet i guess or something but um yeah, yeah so yeah. i remember reading i was really into certain things and t.s Eliot was a big one for me i read the wasteland and i was obsessed with how the whole the sub like the uh, footnotes will reveal to you these layers of references to all oh. of lit all liter literary history <laughs> like t.s Eliot was a total genius i guess and he was just compiled he was referencing every line has multiple references practically i'm exaggerating but to like other no, things so it, it, enri- yeah, yeah, yeah. it enriches the experience of reading his work you know if you can catch what those references are so i had like a heavily footnoted version of the wasteland and that blew my mind and then i was also into like like uh david foster wallace the Inf- infinite jest postmodern structural kind of things um were awesome to me I just lived the overlap the non-linear representation of story and structural fun with structure and poems and everything throughout yeah so i was into that i was digging into that stuff and i thought that would be really cool to start to apply those kinds of things to like a kind of whatever we're calling our type of music but punk punk music yeah um yeah and so i started to go into that sort of more poetic language i wanted i like the timelessness of like more of a formal um uh like a, a like like formal use of language it's not totally formal i break character in there and do the yeah there are lines that are very colloquial or like you know that hit a little harder yeah in the midst of something that I thought of as kind of this more like formal presentation of like classical kind of style of something yeah. romantic kind of style. Yeah. And then structurally, I liked that it could be all these pieces that sort of give you this impression of a narrative, but on paper, you know, if you really examine it, it's not, um, it's not completely like clear or cohesive, but you're getting the impression from all the bits and pieces and stuff like that. So, yeah, I really yeah. appreciate you sharing that because I've always been so fascinated by it. And um, the fact that it is so dense with imagery and sort of the storytelling aspect of it, but it also feels so 
incredibly vulnerable you know at the same time and i think that's that's the thing that always drew me to your band to begin with was hearing that vulnerability within it and wanting to just keep coming back to it because i felt like there was just so much to dig into and i feel like even that uh whether you realize it or not, like having the title be as the roots undo sort of like that made so much sense to me because I feel like it is so deeply rooted in so many different things, you know? Awesome. Yeah. Cool. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm glad that resonated with you on that level. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, you know, some of the influence was from the music of our peers at that time, for sure. No doubt. You know, we were loving that stuff. And so I think, you know, I mean, I heard Orchid like everyone else, and <laughs> I went and saw Orchid, and before I'd even heard of them, <clears throat> I yeah. saw them, and uh, my friend, with my friend Johnny, who was the drummer in XFED, we went and saw Orchid and a couple grind bands, and um, we got the demo, and uh, man, there is a song on that. Honestly, I kind of, I, I liked Orchid, but I, I didn't the demo was like, that's what I liked. So I, yeah. I heard their other albums. There was a 10 inch I liked too, but those were the more that. And then the demo were the more like vulnerable sounding stuff for me. And they made an impact. There is also yeah. another song. I'll tell you one other thing. Um, Dystopia, this band, Dystopia, the Bay, this Bay area, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like intense three piece, um, have an album that blew my mind when I first heard it. It was like, Oh my God, what is this? Because the first song is called stress builds character. The album is called human equals garbage. And there's a, like this four minute part. It's a very beginning of the song. And you're like expecting it's going to be the crustiest thing you've ever heard. Yeah. Okay? And it will be, but you got to get through It's this baseline this weird trippy bass line and the dude the, the drummer is screeching and like whining and having this like emotional outburst that sounds so frail and heartbroken and he's so destroyed by our culture and society and um he does this for it's like a good three minutes yeah this rant and it's like everyone should check it out because it's so amazing but i mean yeah. it's you know it was like took it was like a curveball for me, I was like, whoa, I'm expecting from the artwork. And I know this band is going to be awesome and insane because they're on everybody's back patch. They're everybody's back Right, right, right. Yeah. Crustiest shit I've ever heard. And uh, you hear this and it's totally like emo, though I didn't know that phrase at the time or anything, but it's like the most emo thing you've ever heard. The beginning of this dystopia album. Right. So yeah, I think I was aware of like the power of having these unexpected moments of frailty um, and then build that, build a foundation on that and you're you've got you know you've got this uh you're wielding some magic um there was obviously like a long gap between as the roots undo and the decompositions release i was curious like how long once you guys decided to start making that record like was that a record that was being written over that gap or was that kind of put together around the time you guys went to go record like how long did that record take for you guys to all write it is insane to say, but we were writing that record the whole time. I think we were writing I get it, it the whole time. Uh, yeah. It was not an efficient process. <laughs> um, <laughs> there were flaws in our approach, but sure. we were totally writing. Like I was writing riffs every day. To, and the uh. problem was like I was overproducing. And we could never sort through it all. And we could never keep up as a group with what I wanted the stuff to 
end up being, I think. So we had, the reason it's volume one is literally, we have two more volumes worth of like demos and riffs and, and you know, drum parts yeah. with drum guitars. Dude, we have this insane archive of material and in various stages of completion. And that was the intention was to get it all, do it all. Cause we just yeah. generated so much. We had too much time there in that gap and we were trying to figure out a lineup i think there was a lot of problems uh, in that sure. time and um i can't like think about it linearly or i can't really delineate in my mind right now just off the cuff but we went through some drummer trying to find a drummer and that was so essential for what we were trying to do is like having just like the perfect fit because we had this thing in our heads what we should sound like drum you know what our drums should sound like and stuff and so that was a quest man that took a long time and then and Kathy and I were just like sticking it out and trying to find people and yeah, it was hard. And then once we finally, we did end up with, with Caleb and Caleb Collins from Mare, who we knew from Mare because we had caught them in Canada at some point, played with them. And, um, and then David eventually ended up in the decompositions lineup. Yeah. And he's a great, he's a great friend, old dear friend. And um, he plays with me in drawn bow a lot. We're, collaborating to to a pretty good extensive degree there and um yeah anyway it just took it was just a lot of <laughs> issues but all the while like kathy and i would work on stuff and then we landed on a group and then we wanted to catch them up so that took a while sorting out the all the old material and everything so yeah and then so finally we we're ready do you think we'll eventually get a decompositions volume two some down the line maybe in about seven uh, or eight more years it could be another eight yeah i'm exhausted yeah. just thinking about it right now i mean that i'm exhausted just reliving that yeah, emotional yeah, yeah. trauma of honestly by the time i mean even by the time the middle of that recording process even the recording took a long time because we were still sorting it out even though we didn't have like we had the, we knew the structures of the songs but i was still like experimenting really heavy with the vocal that was a huge yeah. focus and the vocal arrangements and how we were going to do it and hearing stuff back and getting feedback in real time once we were recording was like oh nope <laughs> not gonna work not gonna be the approach and then just re-tinkering and feeling it through so it was a big effort it really took out yeah. a lot out of us and then touring and stuff life in that as my life was evolving personally and i will just only speak for myself here but as we were then touring for that album and it just became a really out of balance um experience for me the experience of life and trying to maintain circle and uh yeah it just yeah, it felt I was not in balance. The pie chart, the proportion of the elements of my life on the pie chart were not in a in good shape. So um, I get it. I had to, yeah, I had, personally had to just start to really dig deeper into the things that were calling to me at that time, which is what I'm doing now in my life for the most of my creative energy goes into our woodland farm. We're in a, we're, my wife and I have a regenerative farm. And so it's working with living systems, really. It's it's designing and implementing a landscape that's stocked with an incredibly diverse array of plant species and animals. And it's like an agricultural system where everything feeds into all the other elements, mimicking and modeling it after 
a natural ecosystem. So it's, it's called permaculture. It's kind of the approach. Yeah. But it's, you know, it's a life's work and I'm constantly gaining feedback from this experience. But anyway, it is my art, I think. I mean, I think of myself pretty much at this point in my life, I'm, I'm willing to accept that. I think I've devoted myself to a life of art and making things. And, um, and this is just the newest expression that really called to me toward the tail end of being active with Circle. This felt a little more um, holistic, you know, to, to yeah. really dig into this. So I ended up sort of being pulled in the direction that I'm, I've built a life around now. So before, before we kind of wrap up here, I wanted to ask you though, about drawn bow, which is your newest project. Like, was that a kind of thing that you wanted to, you've been wanting to do that you finally like felt comfortable to put the effort into because it feels so realized, like the influences that I'm hearing, you know, I don't know if they're actually what you're going, but like, you know, I hear a lot of Leonard Cohen in it. I hear maybe even like Mount Erie, like that type of stuff in it. I don't know if that's like an influence, anything like that, but like, um, what, what, what drew you to wanting to do this and like giving you the, you know, the, the motivation to kind of get it off the ground? Um, yeah. So Drombo, people can check that out on, I just have released it digitally in a humble way on Bandcamp. Um, so if anybody's interested, please feel free to go check it out. Um, it's my new thing. Yeah. So it, yeah, I think I just to be, yeah, I had an opportunity to start recording with some gear that was inspiring from my friend, David, who stayed with me um, for a little while during the pandemic. And he stayed here at our family's house and, um, and he set up his recording gear and showed me some basic approaches to, to tracking and um, was so generous in that. And, um, I'd have, I haven't stopped playing music yet. Like, like that gap between as roots and doing decomposition, I don't stop. I'm like, I may, I write riffs, I write songs and it's just constant. And it just has become a personal exploration music, you know, music for me. It just wasn't something that I felt very inclined to do publicly. Um, but it's something, it's a discipline that I maintain, you know, in my life. And that brings me, you know, pure joy. So, um, yeah i mean i think with so many of us if we weren't doing something publicly we would still it doesn't stop you know um yeah. so yeah so i've been accumulating these ideas and thinking and entertaining the the uh, possibility of recording at some point but the idea of going to a studio in any kind of official capacity just like deflated my my inspiration i want the room to tinker and explore with my art now. And that's sort of the bottom line for me. It's not going to be doing that with anyone breathing down my neck or with anyone else's expectations. You know, these were things I was sort of burning off through time and feel, realizing how free freeing it is to, to be able to just explore things in, in, as a personal quest. Um, anyway, but then suddenly, I, I, because so I've had this ideas accumulated and sort of the concept for what, what would I do were I to document these ideas? And my friend David, yeah, had some gear. So we set up here at my farm and I was able to start, start recording sounds and compiling this thing. And again, also tinkering. I mean, it's an experimental recording project. That's what it's the seed of it is. Um, but I was, I had a lot of like, uh, like criteria going in 
what which were like criteria that would like absolve me from pressure <laughs> i kind of built into this to what drawn bow is um these these really freeing mantras so one of which is that um i'm not like basically i'm totally comfortable with it being the first step on a path i didn't want it to i didn't want to overshoot <laughs> and like try to do something that sounds like a full band rocking out. I mean, there's so many possibilities when you're staring down the, 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 the passage of starting to do a solo project or whatever, you know, because there's the temptation to build layers or do I want this to sound like a rock band or it's just like all these decisions. And so I decided to start with the most minimal approach and expression of this material that i'd accumulated as i could possibly stand and and force myself to make so stripped it down you know started acoustic guitar throughout and then i just made myself know that this doesn't have to be what john bow is going to be in a year in two years in five years but this is a path that i'm an artistic path that i'm now fully committed to so i gave myself total freedom to allow it to be simple and to allow it to grow as time progresses. And that's and that what makes this sense. is. That's what Visions is. So, and thank you. I'm glad it feels realized. It, it did take a lot of work and, and there was yeah. a lot of decision-making and sort of learn. Also, I mean, there is the pressure of knowing you want to bridge the gap potentially from people who are super into circle. I was like, maybe if you, those people are going to jump over here maybe if they can find out about it or whatever I, you know and and so i was like well i don't want this to be a closed door <laughs> right out of the gates like i i so i did because when you're writing your own stuff you know on your own and i'm have heavy folk influences and those kind of things we talked about from that era the 70s yeah. all that stuff there is i do write songs that are a little more it's all cowboy chords and I write stuff that's a little more upbeat or maybe it's not in that tonal space, you know, for sure. But this was a little curated and a little more like, let me make this a place that people could jump over into. And um, so, yeah, I kind of a little manipulated the, the soundscape here to make it like a, to make it a loving <laughs> entryway, potentially, if anybody does stumble upon it from Circle. And again, it will evolve and it will change but i mean i kept it straight yeah. down that was the other thing i mean yeah. thinking but. about leonard cohen i mean that's someone who obviously evolved a lot over time so uh, you know if like that's an influence for you it's like he obviously started out very like singer songwriter folky guitar and then he got into then he found some synths and then he found a full band and then he <laughs> a found, little too, you know, found a few yeah. too many synths maybe for yeah. a period <laughs> uh uncomfortably Yes, I agree. Yeah, for sure. Right. Exactly. Um, That's the path of like doing singer songwriter stuff. It's like, um, you know, it's going to evolve. Sometimes you have full band, whatever down the line. And so, but that said, I mean, this is also, it's really ambient record. I mean, there is singer songwriter ish things, but then I think ultimately, like I was making decisions to like, let, you know, I've got a lot of field recordings and I'm like, okay, I want these oceanscape sounds to do what I did on guitar during like those crazy technical passages in circle it's like no a wave can be that can represent that tension and that dynamic so mm. that's what i'm it's experimental <laughs> but yeah there, you know it's like it it is like a but i also want it it breathes in a way that i'm really really happy with actually i'm i'm really content with 
with the drombo stuff. I'm excited also to approach. I did my first live show um, a few weeks, like uh, a month ago. Um, so it's page 99, right? Yeah, they were general. They were super kind enough to extend an invite. So I did that, and it was really it was like my first time playing um, my own material in eight years <laughs> in front of people. So obviously, it had a layer of nerve wracking, you know, uh, element there. And to play an acoustic guitar in front of people, which I've never done before, but and try to sing the whole time, um, yeah, quietly, but. I played with my friend David. He played pedal steel and then another ally, uh, Jared, who's in this really cool kind of post post rocky band called Staghorn. They're really neat. Uh, he played harmonium. So I had a really beautiful ensemble, simple. We kept it super simple and just pieced it together. But um, yeah, Drombo, it's going to just be, yeah, we wrote half the material for that performance. It was brand new. It's fun. I get to make last minute decisions doing this, which is really freeing. It's like, I can just write new stuff and then do a performance. And that's my intention for the live element of this is going to be just like context-based one-time arrangements with collaborators or solo and just like morph and do whatever is the most um, appropriate thing for the space that I'm going to play or whatever. It's flexible, fun, experimental. Yes. That's amazing. Um, well, shit, man, I'll hit you with the last question, which is when was the first time you felt like you were doing the thing you'd been working so hard towards? There are so many flashes of that. Honestly, just working. <laughs> Every time, like with Circle, I just loved working on that band and building that world. And um, I don't know that I was, it was never, we started off to play Battle of the Bands. You know, there was not, it was not a goal-oriented band. Um and to be totally honest, like none of my artistic explorations are usually, or music or whatever. It's, I don't really approach things from like a, this is where I want to be by the end of this, you know? Um, yeah. it, it just all fell together and it was just this organic path and that worked against it as well. Not to have a clear like leadership or clear direction sometimes, obviously that is challenging, but um, just working, working on the music with, with Caleb in a, in a storage unit you know, just sweating it out, man. That's the best feeling in the world. Just building this world, making little, just putting one brick on at a time and then probably taking that brick off and a couple others and then putting a couple more and tinkering and feeling it through and imagining this is the next song in the circle takes a square universe, you know? It's such a cool feeling, building something. Yeah. So, you know, and then it's the same, to be completely honest, it feel with, I like not to just hype this or whatever, but like for me personally, having achieved like making a solo record that I recorded and mixed myself um, with some high, high end um, uh, consultation from my friend Joe uh, in Junius. Um, he was an amazing remote cons consult consultant for me on this mix but um and he mastered it but that said i really dug in and making something that i feel like really good about actually like the space in it this the textural element there it's like a headphone listen yeah. um i'm really like super proud of it actually which you know you're not supposed to say that maybe but no you should really be hard. it's it's really <laughs> well, really really friend. good yeah but it's more like the greater broader context that makes me so 
pleased that I committed to doing it because it's like my life, you know, I'm a, I have, yeah. I'm a parent, I have two beautiful children and, uh, um, that I'm very in, involved in their life. Like it's all of my life really. And our farm yeah. and everything, all the commitments and life things that we have going on. And, uh, and then to have felt like I got to really deeply dig into an artistic, immersive artistic world to on my terms, um, and that it required so much discipline to do and to execute. But that said, yeah, so that was hearing that back when that was complete uh, was awesome. And one more, listening to As the Roots Undo in a dark studio in the space we had recorded, the rock studio with Anthony, um, who recorded As the Roots Undo. When we were listening to that back, we had just a pile of headphones and a bunch of bodies in the... Uh, in the tracking room and like just lying there, eyes closed, listening to that back was a bit of a victorious moment too. So yeah. Amazing, amazing. Dude, thank you so much, Drew. This has been great. And that is our show. Thank you so much to Drew for coming on. And thank you for listening. This show was edited and produced by my boy, Ryan Rainbow. Shout out to him. And a uh, reminder, if you want to hear a little more Drew, he answered questions that were submitted by subscribers. You can hear that over on patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon. All right. Thanks so much. Have a good rest of your week and I'll see you next Wednesday. Take care. Bye-bye.